Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. I'd like to welcome all those in our Grovetown campus. I'd like to welcome those in our South campus, those watching online and on demand. I'll tell you, I'd like to start with something funny. Did you hear about... Uh, the lady that called her husband at work, and he was just really um, backed up and really busy, and she just wanted to talk. And he quickly said, look, I'm busy. Can we talk about this at home? And she said, well, I've got, very quickly, I just, I've got some good news and bad news. He said, okay, just tell me the good news. She said, well, the airbags work fine. No doubt, after that, he needed to stop by the jewelry store and get a little green box before he got home. Have you you ever done that? You know, just uh, glossed over a situation and knew that you need to back up and you need to deal with that. Today, we're going to be focusing on Matthew chapter 25 as we look at a message entitled, Are You Ready? Now, let me begin with a question. When was the last time that you were late for an appointment? I'll tell you, I hate to be late. In fact, I get really stressed out when I'm late. I grew up in a family that we were always early. The problem is I married Patty, and she grew up in a family that was always late. (laughs) To the point that the school bus, I would be the first one in line on the school bus. She uh, would listen for the horn of the school bus driver. She blew the horn just to see if she's coming out uh, or not. And so that's the tension we have. It stresses me out when we're late. I'll never forget several years ago, we went to a church conference, about five of us from the church, and, um, and our plane out of Columbia was canceled, so we had to quickly get new tickets. Well, it just so happened that one of our uh, members was on the no-fly list. And, uh, of course, the folks in Columbia looked at her, and she's five foot two, 100 pounds, and said, no, I think they've got a mistake here. So they let her go on and said, that when you get to Washington, you've got to re-ticket and so you can go on with the rest of your trip. We got to Washington, and it was like all the ticket counters were closed. So I went with her literally to baggage claim to that ticket counter to get her a ticket. As I'm going through TSA, shoes off, okay, shoes off, holding it in my hand, something said to me, Marty, you better run. You need to run. And so I got through TSA. I just, I didn't tell anybody. I just started running. I ran. I'm talking about my shoes are off. I'm holding my shoes. I'm holding my laptop. And I am running through the airport. um, And I get to our gate. There's nobody sitting around in the seats around our gate. There were only two agents there. And they said, wow, you almost missed your plane. And I said, wait, I've got four more friends that are trying to get it. He said, no, it's too late. They're not going to get on the plane. I said, please, just hold it. No, they're not going to. She said, you need to put your shoes on. And so I took time to put my shoes on. I mean, one string at a time. <laughs> and then here comes Pastor Todd, huffing and puffing and running. And he got on, on the plane. I sat down. I'm telling you, my heart was pounding. I was stressed out. I said, I'm never going to travel with these people again. (laughs) 
I know that if we'd have missed the plane, we'd have eventually got there. But have you ever missed something that was really important? I mean, maybe like the birth of your child, guys. I'm sure the women didn't miss that. Um, you know how that works. A couple of years ago, Patty and I were in Tennessee and we got word that, that Sarah was going into labor and she wasn't supposed to go into labor then. And so we tried to make it. We got to the hospital 20 minutes after Shep was born. So that, the stress of trying to get there. You know, what if you missed your own wedding? That would be pretty stressful, wouldn't it? That would be stressful if you missed your own wedding. Well, I want to talk uh, to you about a story from Matthew chapter 25 uh, about 10 bridesmaids and a bridegroom. Now, five of the bridesmaids miss the wedding. Five of the bridesmaids miss the wedding. And in this parable, Jesus uses this to teach his disciples the importance of always being ready. Now, the big idea for this chapter, chapter 25, really began in chapter 24 of Matthew when one of the disciples asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, what would be the sign of your return, uh, your second coming back to this earth? Tell us what to look for. And Jesus said, very simply, in Matthew chapter 24, he said, you know, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, and you're going to uh, see nation rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines, and there's going to be earthquakes, and um, there's going to be, you'll be persecuted um, for my name's sake. You'll be put to death. You'll be hated by all nations. Many people are going to turn away from the faith. In fact, false prophets during that time are going to rise up and deceive a lot of people, and then there's going to be an increase of lawlessness and an increase of wickedness. But the gospel of the kingdom will be preached all over the world. When you see these things happening, you should make note that the end is near. And so, that's Matthew 24. Now, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a wedding story to encourage the people to be ready for the second coming. Now, think about weddings in our day. They're a big deal, and, and they really uh, happen over a two-day period, maybe the wedding rehearsal, then the wedding day, and then it's over. But back in those days, weddings were a week-long event. And so a groom would go to the bride's father and give money to the bride's father um, for the wedding, and then... Uh, would go back home. And this engagement period could happen maybe over a year while they were living apart. Now, during that time, they would be preparing for the wedding because they had supply chain issues. It's like they couldn't go down to Kroger and get meat or, or food for the, uh, the wedding banquet. They had to fatten up the cow. They had to plant the food. It was a process. It was not just... you. You uh, get on Amazon Prime and it's delivered in two days. You really had to work at that. And so it took a long time. So they never knew when the actual wedding was going to take place. And so Jesus tells this uh, parable featuring 10 bridesmaids or what the Bible calls 10 virgins. Um, and they were given a responsibility in this uh, wedding event. They were to take lanterns out and when the bridegroom comes, they were to light their lanterns so that they would light up the way for the, for the groom to go into the wedding banquet. Now, granted, they didn't know when it was going to happen. 
He lived in a different place, and he would show up when he got there. Their arrival time was uncertain. But they were to wait there and be patient and waiting for this banquet, for uh, the groom to come. So Jesus told this parable. And let me say one more thing. In parables, when Jesus told stories like this, he always encouraged you, as the way he told it, to see yourself in the story. So who are you in this story? So we pick up Matthew chapter 25. We start reading with verse 1. It said, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. So let's just pause for a moment. There are 10 bridesmaids, 10 maidens, 10 virgins. And on the surface, they all look the same. They had the same dress. All of them had the same lanterns. They had the same opportunity. The only thing different was that five of them took extra oil as they went to wait for the groom. The other five didn't bother with the extra oil. They didn't worry about it at all. Five had extra, five did not. Five of them were prepared for the unexpected. Five of them were not prepared. Jesus looked at the five that were not prepared, and he called them foolish. The foolish virgins were not prepared. Foolish people do not do anything extra. They don't do anything extra. They only do what's absolutely necessary in their mind to do to get by. And in this parable, Jesus is teaching us the importance of thinking ahead, of being prepared. Wise people plan ahead. When you plan ahead, you're more productive. When you plan ahead, you develop discipline. When you plan ahead, you have less stress. You have less stress, and I believe you will accomplish more. Now, here's the point. I want you to think long-term. I want you to think long-term, and I want you to get prepared for what's coming. I want you to think long-term and get prepared for what's coming. In other words, you begin with the end in mind. Think about, how do I want this to turn out? How do I want my life to turn out? You begin with the end in mind. Think long-term. Jesus used this wedding story to teach us the importance of being prepared for the second coming. Now, in this story, the sole distinguishing mark between the wise and the foolish is that the wise had the oil for their lamps. Now, in the Bible, oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We often, if somebody's sick, the Bible says, let those that are sick come and let the elders of the church anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Okay, that oil, that anointing represents the work of the Holy Spirit in this place. And so when we think about this, he's saying that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with this oil, so that you and I would shine, that we would shine in the dark places of this world. 
Jesus is saying you need to have your oil. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can shine. You need to be a light in the darkness, a light um, on uh, a city on the hill so that people can see you. Jesus is coming back and we need to be ready. Now, in this story, the bridesmaids didn't know when he's, the bridegroom would come. And as a result that he was delayed in his coming, these girls were tired. All 10 of them. All 10 of these girls were tired and they actually fell asleep because it took longer than all of them expected. Next verse, verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy, and they fell asleep. They got tired. They fell asleep. Now, in verse 6, the bridegroom arrives, and he arrives with some great drama. He said, at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Now, do you remember you were a child and you played hide-and-go-seek? Now, no doubt when you're playing hide-and-go-seek, there's somebody um, that goes out and said, I'm going to count to 10. You better go hide. And, And he counts to 10 or whatever that number is. And when he finishes counting, what does he say? Ready or not, here I come. I kind of see that in this verse. Ready or not, here I come. They, the cry uh, rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Then next verse, verse 7. Then all of the virgins, all ten, woke up and trimmed their lamps. Now, this was the moment that they had been waiting for. This was the moment. However, five of them were not prepared for their moment. Five of them were not prepared for their moment. They didn't have any extra oils. So these five, the foolish ones, verse 8, the foolish ones said to the wise, hey, can you give us some of your oil? I mean, our, our lamps are going out. Can you spot us just a little bit of oil? Now, the point is, these foolish virgins in this story did not do what they should have done. They were not prepared. Instead, they wanted to freeload off of the other five. This is such an interesting verse to me. Jesus is teaching us the importance of personal responsibility. The wise maidens were prepared. The foolish virgins were saying, hey, can you spot us a little bit? Can you, can you, can you give us a little bit of that oil? Put yourself in the story. How does that make you feel? What do you think Jesus is saying here? Stop expecting somebody else to do for you what you should have done for yourself. Stop expecting somebody else to do for you what you should have done for yourself. Jesus is teaching about personal responsibility. And so many times in our culture, we don't embrace personal responsibility. We want somebody else to take care of it. We want somebody else to pay our way. We want somebody else to pay for this or pay for that. 
Stop expecting somebody else to do for you what you should be doing for yourself. Take personal responsibility for your actions. The foolish virgins, they were not prepared. They wanted oil from those who were prepared. The wise ones replied, next verse, verse 9, no, no. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, I want you to go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. I can imagine them saying, you know, you can go down to that store, go down a block, take a left, and there's a dealer, a vendor over there, and he sells oil. And I know it's late, but you probably can get some from him. We're not giving you any of ours. Verse 10, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived and the virgins who were ready went in with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. It's interesting. When I read that word this week, the door was shut. Immediately, my mind went back to the Old Testament, to the story of Noah and the ark. Remember, Noah preached righteousness to his community year after year after year as he's building the ark. He completes the ark. The animals are in. He takes his family into the ark, and he's told the community, hey, a flood's coming. A flood's coming. You need to get prepared. You need to get ready. Flood's coming. It's going to destroy the earth. And so his family goes in, and and the Bible says, and God shut the door. And the reason these two stories are are united is because in Matthew chapter 24, the chapter before this, it says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days coming up to the second coming of Jesus. That there's going to come a point when God shuts the door. The day of grace at that moment will be over. And those people that have oil in their lamps will go safely inside and the door will be closed. Next verse, verse 11. Later, the others uh, also came and said, Sir, sir, will you open the door for us? But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Jesus used this story to teach us about the second coming. When Jesus comes back, There will be a group of people who are watching for him. They're waiting. They're longing for the coming of Jesus so that he could make things right. But there's another group of people who are not concerned about the second coming of Jesus. If they even knew about it, they'd say, well, I've heard that all my life. Well, I have too. I grew up in a church where they preached the second coming. That it would happen any moment, and we left the church scared every week, thinking like, oh, my goodness, what if the rapture takes place? I go home, and I see my parents' clothes laying there, and they're gone. <laughs> Some of you know what I, I'm talking about because you've had the same feelings. You come home, and you called everybody in the neighborhood because you're afraid that Jesus came and left you behind. And so we all feel that, and we all have heard things like that. And you may use stories like that, God's delay to say, well, he's not going to come. Jesus is coming back. 
I believe that the signs of the times are greatly increasing with frequency. It is unnerving to see the persecution of the church as it has unfolded over the last 24 months. I knew that it would be bad, but I didn't realize it would be bad so quick. Where they're taking people out of their homes, out in front of their families, for singing hymns at an abortion clinic and threatening them with 11 years of federal prison for that. That's persecution against the church. And, and we're seeing stories like that over and over. So we should not be surprised, even though we are surprised. We're very surprised. But Jesus said that as the time approaches for the second coming, you should expect to see an increase in wickedness, an increase in lawlessness. And I'll tell you, it's come, and it is confusing out there. Very confusing. But this is going to happen. And it's going to happen so quickly that there are going to be a group of people that feel like, I've got plenty of time to, to make it right. And it happens, and they miss their opportunity. In Matthew 24 and 40, it says, Two men will be working in the field, and one, men, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other will be left. Therefore, keep watch, because you just don't know. You just don't know what day your Lord will come. A lot of people is not going to be ready. And let me just say this. Jesus may delay. It may not happen this week, next week, or next year. It may not happen next 10 years. It may not happen for another 100 years. Okay? 500 years. He may delay that long. A thousand years. It's, nobody knows except him. Here's what I do know. In a hundred years, most everybody in this room, you will have stood before the Lord. Because all of us have a time stamp on our lives. That we've been given this life, this one and only life. In Hebrews 9 and 27, it says, It is appointed unto man once to die. And then after that, the judgment. So you can take all the vitamins, all the supplements. You can, uh, you can exercise until you're, you're built like Superman. But you're going to die. And you may, you may uh, live a little bit longer because you're in shape. It's like those, those guys that went to heaven. And they said, man, this is a beautiful place. We could have been here 10 years longer if we didn't eat all that oat bran. Um, <laughs> 10 years sooner if we hadn't eaten all that oat bran. And so, now that was random. <laughs> Must be getting lunchtime. I want to use those food, those food illustrations. But one day all of us will stand before God and we'll give an account. Here's the point. At the final judgment, everyone will give an account and stand before God alone. In the final judgment, everybody's going to give an account and stand before God alone. That's why Jesus concluded this parable in Matthew chapter 25 with these words, Therefore, keep watch, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. 
So put yourself in the story. The, the second coming story, the Jesus is going to return, the rapture story. Whether you believe it's a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, whatever your theology on that is, we, we are pre-trib people. But just put yourself in that story. I want you to ask yourself this question. Let's think. Okay, let's say in your mind, Jesus is not coming back this week. Um, Maybe, let's just say next year. Say Jesus is going to come back next year. So ask yourself this question. If I knew Jesus was going to return a year from now, how would I live my life differently? If I knew Jesus was going to return a year from now, how would I live my life differently? Think about that. Now, most of you would not change a thing. You would do what you've been doing. You are a Christ follower. You seek to have his principles in your life. You've been cleansed of your sin. You've been given a second chance. You've been blessed. You've been anointed. You've been um, filled with his spirit. And you're at a good place. But just think about that. But there's some of you, maybe you've got some areas that need some attention. How ready are you for the return of Christ? So if we are in the end times, what should you do? I think there are four things that you need to do. If this is the end time, there are four things that you should. First of all, I should pray. Make prayer a part of your life. We're living in a very difficult generation. And we need discernment. Discernment is that, that spiritual gift to where you are able to tell right from wrong. And it's hard. We've got an election coming up in a few weeks. And I want you to pray for discernment. That you can see right from wrong. Because honestly, you look at one commercial and say, man, I like him. I'm going to vote for him. And then you see another, his opponent, and you say, I like him, and I'm going to vote for him. And Oh, I don't like that, or I don't like that. And then it is so confusing. One party says this, another party says that. One party says, but if you do this, we'll do that. It, it gets really confusing. And some people make a choice not to vote because they just don't want to get in, involved in that. But I want to encourage you to do, vote. But pray about it. And say, God, give me discernment. Give me clarity. If, if you were uh, a part of this culture and this nation, show me how to vote. And you've got to figure that out. You and the Lord, figure that out. But we need discernment. Because I'm telling you, we live in confusing times because there are moments that you have to back up and say, is this God or is this the devil? And the reason I can even say that is because the Bible says that in the end days that, that Satan will come as an angel of light to deceive the very elect of God. And so we need some discernment. God, what are you doing in this situation? What are you doing in this situation at work or this situation in the family? And you start to get some discernment. And so the best way I can get discernment is through prayer where I say, God, let this earthly mind be washed 
by your spirit and let me think thoughts from above. Let me think heavenly thoughts. Let me have clarity. Let me have clarity here. Because this world is confused. This world is confused. And we need to find clarity. And I believe we have clarity in God's word. It is very clear. And when people are trying to confuse things, we need to go to the word and find the truth. The Bible says if we'll build our life on the truth, that is the very place where we will find freedom. Know the truth. The truth will set you free. Everything that you hear is not true. Everything you hear on the news is not true. Everything you see out of Washington is not true. Everything you see out of the 50 state capitals across this nation is not true. What is truth? Jesus is the truth. And that we need his spirit to help us discern right from wrong and truth from error. So if these are the end times, I don't want to be sucked into a movement or a group that's trying to compromise humanity, trying to hurt life, and trying to destroy people. I want to stand. I want to stand on God's word. I want to stand for people who can't help themselves. And I want to stand for life. So if these are the last end days, I want to pray. The second thing is I should focus on my relationships. First Peter chapter 4 says, Above all else, love each other deeply, because love covers that a multitude of sin. Show hospitality to one another. Love each other deeply. And what I would say to you is, if these are the truly last days, and, and Jesus could come tomorrow, but you know what? I could be hit by a transfer truck tomorrow too. I may get to heaven sooner than I even imagine. You just don't know what tomorrow holds. So if we are living in the last days, I want to focus on relationships. I want to make things right with the people that, uh, that I love, the people I work with, the people that I live with. I don't want to go into eternity leaving things unsaid and undone on this side. I want to make things right. This spoke to me years ago in the early days of the church. When, um, just a, a hundred people or so, I was asked to do a funeral of one of our church members, an elderly lady, and I had to go to uh, out of town to do this. And it's a very prominent family in town. So we drove up um, South Carolina, and we would, went to the funeral home. I walk in, and there's the church member laid out there in the funeral home. There's her son-in-law looking over that. And I'm thinking, I'm pastor here. Uh, this is kind of new stuff because I'm not really, I'm in my 20s and I'm trying to pastor. And so I, I go stand by, beside this guy and uh, right there, you know, as if to say, I'm so sorry that your mother-in-law passed. And, I, and he looked at me and said, now that woman right there, she's a mean old woman. <laughs> what do you say to that? What do you say to that? I don't even know what I said to that. 
But I do know this. I walked away and said, I don't want anybody to ever to stand over my casket and say, that's a mean old man there. I don't want anybody to, to say, oh, he did me wrong or he didn't make this. You know, I want to live in a way where our, my relationships were with other people, even though they may not be perfect, but they've been working toward a pathway of peace. The Bible says that you should live at peace with everyone when it's possible. And that indicates that there are some people that you simply cannot be at peace with. But you're going to do what you can do to get along with the people around you. And so maybe this week, you need to think about that. Is there anybody that I just need to clear the air with, that I just need to make things right with, and, and do that? Because if we're living, I don't want to go into eternity and leave things unsaid or undone. Here's the third thing. Our time is running out. If we're living in the end times, I should use my gifts. God has given every one of you talents. He's given you abilities. He's given you personality, experiences. Use what you've been given to make the world a better place. Make the world a better place. Do you know, one day, I believe you're going to stand before God, and one of the questions he's going to ask you is this, what did you do with what I gave you? It's a, a question of stewardship. God has entrusted you with these gifts, these talents, these resources. What did you do with it? What did you do with what I, I gave you? Do something with your life. Now, the fourth and the final thing, if we are living in the end times, then what should I do? The fourth thing is I should get my life right with God. I should get my life right with God. Second Peter 3 says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You are to live holy and godly lives. I want you to live a holy life. Now, now when I say that, some of you are, some men, I can never be holy. I mean, that's for uh, the really, really religious people. No, when he talks about live a holy life, holy simply means uh, that you're set apart, that you're different, that, that you don't fold into the crowd every time the crowd rises up that you are set apart, you're special, that, that you're, you will go against the grain, that you, instead of going with the crowd and going this broad way, that you're going to take the narrow way, you're going to take the road less traveled, that you're going to be set apart. That's all that means, that you, you're just going to walk a different path. You don't have to walk like the world walks to gain um, standing in this world or to gain confidence, you can be confident in who God made you and you can walk according to his will. You're to live holy. You're to live godly. What does that mean? That you're going to live your life according to the principles of the Bible. That you're going to strive to be nice to people, to treat people right, to, uh, to live and, and walk the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God, I'm going to do my best to live in a way that honors you. You're going to honor the Lord. So those are the four things that I would do. Now, let's talk about get right with God. Think about that just for a moment. To those in our Grovetown campus, to those in our South campus, those watching online, are you right with God? I realize that a message like this, that there is a tendency where you can just check out 
yeah, I believe Jesus is coming, but he's not coming soon. So, uh, and, and you've, you, your mind is somewhere else. But I, just, I need you to come back just for a moment. If you were to meet the Lord by the end of the day, would, would you be okay with that? Would you be right with the Lord? And you say, oh, Marty, you're just trying to pressure us. You're just trying to twist our arms. Trying to scare. I'm not trying to scare you. Here's what I know. One day I'm going to stand before the Lord. And I'm going to give an account of every word that I've spoken. And I just want to know that I have made it clear for you that there are two paths here. path of foolishness and a path of wisdom. And I just want you to walk in the way of wisdom. I want you to walk in the way that you're following in the Jesus' footsteps. And I don't want anybody in this auditorium or in our South Campus, our Grovetown Campus, I don't want anybody to say, I didn't know that. I didn't know you had to be saved. I didn't know that Jesus was coming back. Why didn't the pastor tell me? I don't want that. I don't want it ever to be said that I spoke in a way that you couldn't understand or you just didn't get it. I want to be clear. One day, you and I are going to stand before the Lord. It could be after the second coming, or it could be later this week. We just don't know. Are you ready? Have you made things right with the Lord? I want to speak to those of you that are watching from home. Or maybe you're scrolling through Facebook, and for whatever reason, you're prompted to click on this service. This call is to you, too. Are you right with the Lord. And you say, what does that even mean? Here's what that means. That all of us have sinned. We've all made mistakes. We have fallen short of godliness and holiness. And in our sin, Jesus Christ went to the cross and died and paid for the penalty of sin. On the third day, he rose again. And in that resurrection, that power that brought him out of the grave is now available to those who ask for it. So our sins can be forgiven and we can receive spiritual power just by asking for it. So the question is, have you asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sins and to fill you with his power. Because if you will ask him, he will answer you. He will wipe your slate clean. He will forgive you of your sins. And he will fill you with his spirit. You don't have to continue walking in the same place, in the same way that you've been walking. Your life can be better. And I would say this. Even if heaven were never promised to me, this life of walking in the footsteps of Jesus is the best life on this earth. If heaven was never promised, 
this is still the best life for you. And so I want you to hear me, and I want you to do more than just hear me. I want you to take that step and make things right. Say, Jesus, save me. Say, Jesus, come into my life and make things right. There are some of you that you've prayed that prayer, you've been baptized, you've done, you've checked all the boxes. You are a member of the church, all that, but for whatever reason, over the last several months, you have drifted away. And you've got a a pile of good reasons why you drifted. But let's set those reasons aside and let's just put you now in the presence of the Lord. Today is the day that you, God is prompting you to, to rededicate your life. It's time to rededicate your life and start walking close with the Lord. So I want to pray over you. And I just want you to bow your heads right where you are. Grovetown, South Augusta, maybe in your living room right here in this auditorium. And I just want you just to be in an attitude of prayer. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer so that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This may be the first prayer that you've ever prayed. And just so that I can know who I am praying for and talking to, uh, just everybody, heads bowed, no one looking around, just slip up your hand and say, Marty, I want you to pray for me. So do that now. Just, yes, all over this room, just pray for me. Yes. South Campus, Grovetown, yes. I want to pray over Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for our congregation. I pray for the people here today. God, I pray that you'd give us mercy and that you'd give us grace. Now, to those of you that would like to make things right with the Lord, you'd like to be saved today, just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, say that. Say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Say that, have mercy. Forgive me of my sins. Say that. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you want me to be. I give you my life. Now fill me with your spirit. I receive what you have for me. And Father, I pray that prayer, not only for those, but for all of those that are rededicating their lives. I pray that prayer for all of those that have walked in here with with a weight on them. God, that you would lift that weight, that you would lift that burden. And I ask God that you would come and allow your presence and your peace to be upon us all. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Well, I want to welcome you to the family of God today. Let's all stand together. Thanks so much for coming and being here today. I pray God's blessings on you, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.